I, I strongly believe that IoT is very much around the solution. Uh, IoT is not for itself. Uh, nobody implements uh, internet technologies in the shop floor areas just for the sake of technology. It has to bring value to the customer and the value is very much inside the data-driven business models and uh, the shop floor feeds these business models with the appropriate data. Welcome to We Talk IoT, a regular series of podcasts from the editors of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. This podcast is brought to you by Avnet Silica in cooperation with Microsoft. Hi, I'm Tim Cole, the editor of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. Today, we want to talk about the hardware driving IoT in general and sensors, the eyes and ears of IoT in particular. And we have chosen as our guests two real heavyweights, Dr. Gunther Kegel of Pepper and Fox, the worldwide specialist in both factory and process automation, and Frank Hansen, Vice President Technical Resources and Marketing at Avnet Silica, the European Semiconductor Specialist Division of Avnet Inc., one of the world's largest global technology distributors, and incidentally, the sponsor of our magazine. Oh, and before I forget, Dr. Kegel also serves as the Vice President of ZVEI, -E one of the most important manufacturers associations in Germany, representing the interests of the country's high-tech, electric, and electronics manufacturers. Gontom, why does it make sense to bring you two together here instead of interviewing you separately? I think it's um, time to understand that uh, we're all working uh, for solutions for our customers and that requires an in-depth understanding of the application, but also of uh, the capabilities that suppliers can bring into the game, into finding an appropriate um, solution. And therefore, we need to understand that we more and more have to work together, not only in pairs, but even in, in uh, three parties involved. We have our customers we really wanted to serve with a perfect customer-specific application. And we have our suppliers that serve us with parts of these solutions, and they should become a more integral part of the solution design rather than being just a supplier that gets the products uh, to our places whenever we need them for production. Frank, do you agree? 100% agree and I want to make also an additional comment where also from the market leaders like Peppel and Fuchs, we can learn also what in their area of expertise, the market dynamics and also the market changes are to adapt our solution offering as Evernet also to the needs, for example, of Peppel and Fuchs. Instead of components, customers today increasingly demand solutions that are tailored to specific needs and tasks. How does this trend affect the market for IoT in general and sensors in particular? I, I strongly believe that IoT is very much around the solution. Uh, IoT is not for itself. Uh, nobody implements uh, internet technologies in the shop floor areas just for the sake of technology. It has to bring value to the customer and the value is very much inside the data-driven business models and uh, the shop floor feeds these business models with the appropriate data. 
And therefore, uh, all these IoT concepts are very much solution-oriented, much more than they are component-oriented. It's more or less bringing and assembling uh, solutions, uh, components together into a solution. Therefore, we really recognize that most of the IoT-related business is already solution-oriented business. It's not a component business only. Whereas in our legacy products, we see a tremendous growth rate in uh, the solution business, but not instead of the component-oriented business, but as an add-on to this business, because most of our customers want a design solution, but later on, they decide to buy this in integrated products. Uh, the integration is very important and customers don't want to do the integration by themselves. So whatever they buy is on the long run, again, an integrated product, but the solution consists out of many, many different parts. It's not only electrotechnics, it's software IT, but it's also very often mechanical design that finally creates a complete solution over there. And that's on the long run turns into a product that combines all these different aspects. Well, Frank, of course, Avnet traditionally sold components. Isn't this a whole new ballgame? This is a complete new ballgame and we're seeing the same market dynamics as described uh, from Gunther as well. But we see also that the buzzword uh, IoT is moving now more and more into real applications and use cases where we see a lot of predictive maintenance platforms and applications starting what is more than 80% of our current engagement with customers, where they have to start a predictive maintenance implementation as one of their main target. And here Sensor, in particular, uh, playing a major role where this is uh, the most important entry point for data, where with data analytics and machine learning engines, the data analysis start already there. And with the current economy situation, the time to market with an optimized system cost of ownership strategy help also to be first to market and can ignore the cost optimization redesign from a short midterm perspective. And we as Avenet Zilica and Avenet can support the customers with own resources or can establish the proven Avenet external ecosystem to bring that solution to customer. A couple of years ago, the watchword was software is eating the world but software alone no longer seems to be a real differentiator. Today, the buzz is mainly about cloud solutions, data analytics, artificial intelligence. How should vendors react? Yeah, well, starting with the industrial applications, uh, it's clear that most of this new technology has to be integrated in what we call the shop floor, though that's the area of machines, that's the area of physics, that's the real stuff in a factory over there. And uh, whereas we see integration of software, integration of software system architectures in a great deal already on the office floor level, we don't have to have this uh, at the shop floor level at all. We have some, uh, let's say, automation-specific digital communication capabilities, but it's not what you could call an internet of things. Uh, so for us, being one of uh, the leaders in uh, providing industrial sensors and sensor solution, connectivity is the first uh, big, uh, let's say, game changer. All our products that were regular sensors years before now uh, have the same sensing capabilities, but the data or the measurement values have to be turned into data and basically connected to the Internet of Things. So all our products need this specific connectivity aspects, and this requires a lot more electronics and software to be integrated in the components. And that's so important 
to really have an understanding on the customer's application, but as well on how to apply the existing component technology into our devices uh, to make uh, connectivity easy and competitive. Achim Berg, the uh, president of Bitkom, the German IT Manufacturing Association, recently warned that lack of experienced personnel in areas such as data analysis and, and sensors uh, is throwing a monkey wrench into the development of Industry 4.0 in Germany. Is he correct? Yes and no. I, I think that we are well prepared to do the Internet of Things on the shop floor level. Uh, first of all, because we own uh, the shop floor level, because we are the world market leader in exporting machines. We are the world market leader in exporting automation technology. So we really own the things on the shop floor level. And therefore, we are dedicated to really turn these elements of the shop floor into the things of the Internet of Things. So from this viewpoint, I think we are in a very favorable position. We might even lead the race. Then the question is, what do we do with this kind of data? Are we also world-leading in regards of machine learning, in regards of artificial intelligence, in regards of big data computation? And the answer is clearly, no, we're not. We're not leading the world in artificial intelligence. We are not leading the world in this kind of platform-oriented economies. We don't have any uh, company that is really relevant in regards of social media and all these uh, office floor-oriented new data-driven business models. And that's really the missing link. Are we able to turn our dominant position in the shop floor area where all the data is generated also in a leading position in what to do with these data into developing the right business models that use the data and turn them into a customer advantage? Well, for both of you, the question, despite all the hype, Industry 4.0 is still very much in early stages in Germany at least, mechanical engineering still seems to be struggling to digitize. Does that worry you? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I think that what we see uh, at the very moment uh, regarding the machines sold by the day, we have uh, an internal digitalization, but these machines are not completely connected yet and they don't offer this internal data to other, uh, let's say, data-driven business models. But in the laboratories, in the R&D centers of uh, these machine builders, and we are working with them day to day because we are actually providing them the sensor solutions for the next generation of machines, they're all completely digitized and everybody understands that machines of tomorrow need to be completely connected even across the boundaries of factories uh, by connecting a supplier and the user uh, together uh, that we have a balance of machines and the balance of the supply chain as such. This is completely understood. And uh, honestly speaking, I don't know a single one that is not eagerly working on getting his machines completely digital and completely connected. But at the very moment, end users are not yet demanding this uh, in the full set of the machines. They are talking about more partial digitalization that gives them direct access to the machine and to the sensors, but they don't yet think about connecting these machines to all the other machines or machine centers, even across the boundaries of their factory. So this is a more an evolutionary step-by-step -step approach. But I don't think that the restricting moment is really uh, their machine builders. In their laboratories, they are completely prepared to roll out complete digital machines as soon as the customers really request this. 
But of course, there are lots of really old machines standing around in the shop floors in Germany that were built long before anyone dreamt of connecting them to anything. Uh, what do we do about the legacy? I do believe that the legacy is a perfect example where you can add new sensors, new connected sensors that feed the relevant data into data-driven business models, although you're still using the mechanical part of the old machines. You can, for example, relatively simply exchange the control mechanisms into a new control system that has all the digital connections and all the data, um, um, let's say, analytics already on board by simply leaving the machine as is, but exchanging the control system over there. Frank, is that your experience too? Absolutely, 100% agree what Gunther is saying. Uh, one practical example, if you look into the ANOVA method, digital days, uh, what the uh, various companies have offered in their terms, everybody have their own cloud solution available, everybody have also the connectivity portion available. So this is already showcasing there in solutions, in products, which are now, let's say, available to the market. So 100% agree what Gunther is saying. We Talk IoT, the smart industry podcast, is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft Azure IoT Hub. Highly secure and reliable communication between your IoT application and the devices it manages. Azure IoT Hub provides a cloud-hosted solution backend to virtually connect any device. Extend your solution from the cloud to the edge with per-device authentication, built-in device management, and scaled provisioning. If you need an industrial IoT solution based on Microsoft IoT Hub, then Avnet IoT Connect is your perfect choice. A standardized way to harness IoT so your business can quickly build smart apps and solutions based on the Azure platform. What will the greatest impact of artificial intelligence be to your sector? First of all, we, we need to understand uh, that artificial intelligence is not really new. I was doing my PhD 30 years ago, and guess what? Uh, my PhD was uh, integrating multi-sensor signals into robot control by means of artificial intelligence. Uh, so everything we are talking about today was already relevant 30 years ago. Uh, so um, And artificial intelligence is not any kind of crude magic over there, but it's really a set of defined algorithms that have been developing greatly throughout the last year, simply because we added a tremendous computational power, a tremendous um, storage capacity for data, and the most important thing, we have labeled data that can be used to train these algorithms much more efficiently than we could do 30 years ago. And that's the reason why all, all of a sudden these kind of technologies seem to explode and seem to offer such tremendous opportunities. But we as users on the shop floor have to come back to a, what we would call a tool realism. Uh, we have to understand realistically what these tools can bring. And it's not that they are changing the entire industry completely, but it's more an evolutionary approach to use these things in regards of predictive maintenance. So understanding machine behavior, predicting machine behaviors by just analyzing standard data sets, but in big data dimensions. 
doing any kind uh, of uh, analytics on my machines, uh, trying to understand uh, the behavior of machines, uh, trying to understand supply chains or whatever, whatever seems to be very complex and uh, very difficult to be deterministic in a way today can be solved with this kind of algorithms. But this requires a trustful infrastructure. That's uh, why it uh, was already mentioned, Gaia-X is so important that we can put all our massive data uh, into such platforms and then work the algorithms and try to understand what are the capabilities of these new artificial intelligence. When we go down to the shop floor, we expect these algorithms of machine learning or artificial intelligence to be very helpful for the recognition capabilities of more complex sensors. So when you talk about an image processing system, this is today dominated by deterministic algorithms that you can apply. If you exchange this by machine learning algorithms, we can maybe do the next steps in automatic recognition of obstacles, objects, or whatever by using this. But this is ongoing. It's nothing we need to do in the future, it's something that we already do, testing out these machine learning algorithms and compare them uh, with what we have today and find out what are the real benefits and what are the advantages these new algorithms actually are bringing uh, with them. And this will give us a next push, but I would like to state that I, I'm not overly optimistic that this is really in the industrial world another complete game changer. This is really a momentum uh, given to us. It's the next box of tools, a tool set that we can successfully integrate into our offering. But I don't think that this is really becoming a game changer on the short term. Frank, uh, sensors themselves seem to be getting smarter. Will the artificial intelligence start to move to the edge? Definitely, yes. Uh, and, you, and you can see this as well, Tim, when you look into the announcements which have done by NXP and ST, they also bring now into their sensor offerings also artificial intelligence and machine learning engines to really make that sure. And one further comment what Gunther said as well. So most of our time, we are working with customers to give them an understanding how artificial intelligence or machine learning can improve also their use case, their business case to their end customer to give them also an idea which additional information they can get or which estimation they can get out of this data to also develop new use and business cases for them. This is one of our main focus when we're discussing artificial intelligence and machine learning with customers. Gunther, um, your company is, of course, at the center of, of digital transformation in Germany, but that also means that your company has to move. Do you sometimes encounter resistance within the company? You know, there are such things as corporate mindsets that can be roadblock. I have never seen anything like this in our company. The roadblocks are in the minds of the top people. The other people are much more um, willing to change quickly if they understand and um, uh, the motivation and the target that you have. Uh, simple example, we have uh, roughly 1,800 people working for us in Germany, and uh, we send 1,400 from them uh, from one day to the other in home office. And uh, they were able to use all our machines and procedures through our dedicated VPN network and so on from day one. We had not a single percent of efficiency drop over there and everybody was enjoying a very good infrastructure over there. So the people were willing to move into the home office uh, in, in a nanosecond over there. We, the top management, were hesitating to do so because we always feared that we might drop 
uh, efficiency that we might uh, not be able to control people's work contribution all these stuff uh, where, where managers normally prefer having their people close to them rather than distributed uh, through the entire town over there and we had to learn that um, home office mobile working is not um, basically uh, a lack of control does not actually automatically mean a loss of inefficiency. I totally agree that you can't work 100% home office the entire year. You have to collect the people. They have to understand the messages between the line. But this, on the other hand, also means it's not necessary to be in the office every day. You might be three days in the home office, two days at the office or something like this. A combination of both would be able, without uh, the pandemia, we wouldn't have been forced to do so. It would have taken much longer for the top management to reach an acceptance level. Uh, for this. And we have this in many, many other parts of it. It's not the company, it's not the people employed in the company. It's really the top management that finally has some restrictions in regards of shall we really change into the digital world? Uh, do we cannibalize our existing business models? We make a lot of money in the analog world. Why should we leave this without uh, really the threat that the analog business goes away? These are really the decision making points. It's not the, the people as such. We have a large what we call digital curriculum it's a, a software platform a learning platform with more than 60 hours of learning content every pepper and fuchs employee of a certain responsibility uh, has to go through this learning uh, content and i have not the single case where people refuse to do so and are not willing to do this learning and not willing to accept that there is a necessity to understand the next generation of digital technology so i think in, in most of the cases it's a it's a simple excuse yeah we have a resistance inside the company in most of the cases this resistance resides in the heads of uh, the leading parts of the company well you both work for companies that are operating internationally um, how do the German-speaking countries rate as possible places to invest in digitalization and R&D? Frank, you want to start? I can start, of course. So what we see, it is a little bit dependent on the technology side. As Gunther mentioned already before, so industrial automation as well as power and power application, we see that from an R&D perspective, we have very good people which we can hire. Even in power and power applications, we have a lack of resources where the current resources are very much educated and also serviced from, from the current employer. Also, sensor and industrial network, I think we have a very good position in the German-speaking countries. I think where we do have a lack of knowledge and also capabilities are in software and in cloud uh, development. So here, I think we're lacking behind regions or countries like India, the US, or also Israel. Okay, well, maybe one last question, because our time is up. Um, how have you and your companies come through the corona crisis, at least so far? So far, uh, we've been hit in the top line. Uh, we are behind last year's uh, comparable results in regards of order intake and sales by something in between 5 and 8%, so nothing we can cope with. We can't cope with, so that we are able to manage this. Uh, it's not a year where we can create growth, especially in the top line. We are able uh, to preserve or to even enlarge our cash positions. That's nice. So financially, the group is absolutely stable. But it is a frustrating environment at the very moment because our salespeople, for example, even if they want to, 
they're not able to meet people because everybody else in our customers is working from home office. And so we are more and more seeing that we have to utilize these technologies like internet to a larger degree, but we do not have the same, let's say, customer intimacy, uh, like when talking to them face-to-face in their office environment and so on. So sales is becoming much harder in these times of Corona, where traveling is restricted and you're not able to meet people. We we lack the big fairs. Hannover Fair had been uh, basically canceled and they had uh, actually did Frank mentioned this, the digital days in ANOVA as a small, let's say, uh, digital format. But when you compare this, we expect 200,000 visitors at the ANOVA fair, and we had just 10,000 registrations for the digital days. So there's a, there's a big gap in how we reach out to our customers. That's uh, at the very moment our most problematic part. Our international supply chain, although you can read differently in the press, yeah, international supply chain is vulnerable, that's not resilient, we need to basically onshore this backwards into our home areas and so on. I think this is all not true. Our international supply chains from Singapore, from Vietnam, from Hungary, from Czech Republic, also in Germany and in the U.S., was not at all jeopardized by this. Uh, it was more some of the local players that were too close to happenings like Tönnies, you have uh, for sure witnessed this. They ran to a complete uh, quarantine and block situation. But for the rest of our international supply chain, we only had spot-wise uh, and uh, short-term interruptions that we could cope very, very easily. So the international supply chain has proven to be much more resilient than we when, than we all thought. And you, Frank, how did Avnet come through? So Avnet came through, like uh, also mentioned already from Gunther. So we have also a top-line decline of approximately 10% due to the fact that also we have lockdowns uh, big time in Italy and Spain where we could not even serve customers appropriate. On the other side, we're seeing also now that customers are coming back. Yes, they're coming back digitally, but you can access to people a little bit more easier than if you try to catch them in the office where they're always busy or blocked somehow else. So this is also an advantage having this uh, kind of communication through the internet. And from a supply chain standpoint of view, what Günther mentioned, I can confirm that we also see a little bit of a hiccups or weaknesses in terms of supply chain due to the fact that also plants, when you look into this uh, discrete and also into MOSFETs, they are fully occupied now from a plant perspective. And we see also suppliers a little bit more shy in terms of the wafer starts where they also not fully understand how the customer demand will develop at least in the calendar year 20 and the first half year of calendar 2021. Well, I guess we will all see what this will pan out. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for sharing your insights with our listeners. Uh, that was We Talk IoT in a new format, three people talking. It was interesting for me. We have never done this before, and uh, we have learned a lot, and I hope you, our listeners, will enjoy it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. And now, one more thing. The European Commission has launched a full-scale probe of Google's plan to purchase Fitbit, a leading manufacturer of activity trackers, smartwatches, and wireless wearable technology, saying that the acquisition raised serious concerns over control of user data. Margarete Vestager, the EU Commissioner in charge of competition policy, said, quote, 
the use of wearable devices by European consumers is expected to grow significantly in the coming years. This will go hand in hand with an exponential growth of data generated through these devices. This data provides key insights about the life and the health situation of the users. Our investigation aims to ensure that control by Google over data collected through wearable devices does not distort competition. The EU stated it was unconvinced by a pledge Google made around protecting user data while also expressing concerns about the potential impact on the digital healthcare sphere and whether Google would, quote, degrade the interoperability of rivals' wearables with its Android operating system, end quote. The EU has until December 9th to make a ruling. In a blog, Google Vice President of Devices and Services, Rick Osterlow, defended the $2.1 billion takeover deal, stating it would, quote, increase competition in wearable hardware, end quote, noting that the sector already had what he calls vibrant competition from companies including Apple, Samsung, Garmin, and Fossil. The Fitbit acquisition is also being scrutinized by the U.S. Department of Justice. That was We Talk IoT, the Smart Industry Podcast. You can read all the latest from Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine, by visiting our website at www.smart-industry.net, where you'll find hundreds of feature articles about everything from smart manufacturing and cognitive computing to autonomous driving and how IoT and AI are making business smarter. There, you can sign up to receive our newsletter, Smart Industry Updates. I'm Tim Cole. See you back next month when, once again, we talk IoT.